Welcome into another episode of A Quick Time Out. My name is Coach Tony Miller, and on the show today, I am joined by ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis. Jay and I talked about his prep for calling some of the biggest college basketball games on TV, shared characteristics of some of the top coaches in the country, the Kansas-Kansas State brawl, and the Jay Billis skills camp that he holds for players and coaches each summer. As always, thanks to our sponsors at 323 Sports. Now is the time to make the switch to make 323 Sports your preferred team dealer. Name brands, top-of-the-line equipment and clothing, on-time delivery, they're everything that you're looking for in a team dealer. So make the switch today. Visit 323sports.com to get in contact with a rep. Now on to today's interview with Jay Billis. Great to have ESPN's Jay Billis with us on the podcast. Jay, thanks so much for taking your time for us today. Sure, my pleasure. Your best guess, how many games do you call in a college basketball season? In a season, uh, in between 45 and 50 uh, annually, plus uh, uh, you'd have to add, tack on a number of other you know studio appearances, things like that. So I've, I've, I get enough reps. I'm not worried about that. Do you ever just sit on a couch and, and turn on the TV and watch, or are you always prepping for a game? Oh, that's a good question. I, I do just watch, but most of the time I'm watching for a purpose. So uh, usually if I'm just watching something, it's the NBA. Uh, if I'm just watching for just to be a, a complete fan, uh, I'm I'm usually have a pad and paper out when I'm watching a college game and I'm taking, taking notes on what I see. Uh, so it's pretty rare these days that I, uh, I'm a fan and it's pretty rare I go to a game and just sit in the, sit in the stands with a, box of popcorn. I, I miss those days a little bit. I saw Fran Fraschilla had kind of like a note card that he brought with him. Do you bring like a stack of notes with you or is it just something that, because I've seen you take notes at like practices and that kind of thing, but is it something that you just kind of have in your on your mind or is it something that you have written out there? Well, usually if I'm at a practice, I'm at a practice to, to cover it. I'm, I'm there for a reason. I've got a game coming up or, or something like that. So uh, I have, I, I make game charts for every game. Uh, I keep those with me. So every game I've done this year and last year, I have the chart with me um, uh, when I'm on the road. And, uh, and I also keep a notepad. So, you know, I take notes and then transfer them into different, different things. But it just kind of depends. I mean, if I'm, if I'm at a practice, it, it, you know, I may not use the, the information I get uh, in, uh, in the game I'm covering. But I'll use it at some point during the season. You just sort of never know. And, uh, and writing it down for some reason helps me remember it. That's just the way my, my tiny little brain works. <laughs> I heard you once say, I think it was a couple of years ago, on one of the game day features that they did. But as you travel around the country and observe practices, one of the things that became apparent to you was the fact that there's a lot of different ways to achieve success. And the way that you worded it, I think you were maybe implying that a lot of times we think there's like this magic formula that only a, a few select coaches know, but that's not actually the case. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, I think so. I think for most, uh, in most any endeavors, there are different styles and different ways to do it, uh, to do things. You know, I think most coaches would tell you that defense is really important to them, but there's no one way to defend and defend the right way. Like you can play zone, you can play man, you can press. You can play like Virginia does and play a pack line and have fewer possessions in a game. Uh, so there's no one right way to do it. I, I think there we could all probably agree, most reasonable people, that uh, our you know our value systems that that we would want would probably align from the best coaches that that they they have the same value systems but not the same 
way of doing things. Some coaches have long practices, other coaches have shorter ones. Some yell more, others are, uh, some are more positive, some are, you know, negative reinforcement. Uh, there's no one right way to do it. That, that, I guess that's mostly what I was talking about. Despite the differences and maybe in addition to the value systems that you just talked about, but did you find or have you found that there's either similarities or commonalities among those that are successful? Yeah, but I think there are commonalities uh, for successful people uh, across disciplines. Uh, in other words, like I, I don't think it's vastly different for a successful coach than it is for a successful lawyer, doctor, salesperson, uh, you name it. Uh, most of it has to do with preparation, hard work, uh, uh, teamwork, you know, all those things that, that we all talk about as being important. So, you know, those, those are sort of the, maybe the pillars or the value systems that, uh, that I think we can all agree are common to success in any field. You kid a lot on telecasts about your playing career and the, and the accomplishments, but it, it seemed at least like while you were at Duke that you accepted your role and made the most of your opportunities, even though you were a really good player coming out of high school. So was that something that, that ability to accept your role, was that something just in your personality or was it something that someone helped you with or a coach that addressed something about you or was it something that just came natural? No, I think, I think most, most players accept their roles. You know, my role in high school and when I played professionally and overseas was to be the star of the team. You know, those roles don't seem to be too difficult for most people to accept. Uh, when I played in college, um, you know, I wasn't the star of the team, and, uh, but my role was important. I mean, I knew I was a good player. But and my teammates, I think, knew that. Um, but, you know, I didn't really care much what the people in the stands thought. And for for a lot of players that play for great teams, they they could easily be the leading scorer for other teams and, and in great conferences and all that. Um, you know, I played with guys and I feel I was one of them that I could have been all conference somewhere else. But so what? Uh, you know, nobody really cares. It, it's more about to me. It was you know more about the the team I was playing on. Our teams were really successful, and and that was uh, you know that was our our objective. So you know I mean, and I joke about my playing career because you know it's more fun to joke about it. Who wants to listen <laughs> to some you know old guy talk about his playing career? Nobody cares. And even even guys that are Hall of Famers that are in you know in our jobs that are in media. You know, nobody, nobody cares. Like nobody wants to hear about your career. We want to hear about the guys that are playing, the people that are playing now. So I'm not, I mean, we joke about it, but, uh, but, you know, coaches joke about, you know, getting beat and getting fired and all that stuff. That's just part of, you know, part of being a, being a reasonable, you know, sort of human being that understands kind of, it's not about us. It seemed like the guys that you had on your teams there at Duke, that you guys really liked each other and, and cared about each other. And I've heard both sides of it. Some people will say, like, for you to have achieve your ultimate success, you have to have a group that really likes each other and, you know, spends time together off court. Is that true or is that something that really doesn't matter? I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I think it varies. Uh, I think there have been a lot of successful teams that didn't get along at all. There have been a lot of unsuccessful teams that were best friends. And we happen to be a successful team that, that were best friends. Um, but that, that wasn't unique to my experience in sports. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to work at ESPN and the group I work with, uh, uh, whether it's college game day or the, the game crew that I'm on, we're all really close friends. And, uh, and I, I've said this consistently for, for years, you know, I had a lot of great teammates in college. I had great teammates when I played pro ball, my high school teammates were great. 
Uh, I was very fortunate. You know, the best teammate I've ever had in any endeavor is Reese Davis that I work with now. Um, you know, it, it, being a great teammate isn't isn't just about you know sort of sports um, or you know I mean I guess you could call it colleague or classmate or whatever in whatever endeavor you're you're about. But the principles, like you were saying before about commonality, the principles are the same. Uh, so I think you know taking it to your original question, like we had a we had a great group of friends. And, uh, and it, it spoke more to the quality of person rather than the fact that it was basketball. Um, cause I've played on some really good teams when guys weren't as close and didn't get along quite as well. Um, but the teams were, were really good. So, um, I think it just depends. Uh, we're recording this the day after the Kansas and Kansas state brawl. So I wanted to ask from a coach's perspective, do you think they're could have been anything to either prevent that or maybe at least prevent it from turning into what happened? No, uh, th- there were certain things that, that helped escalate it. And I, you know, I want to be clear on this, that there, nothing that preceded the fight, um, justifies the actions in a fight it, it, that the fight was totally unacceptable and any, there's no excuse for any participant in that fight. Um, but just, I would make the analogy to if, if I walk down a dark alley and I'm mugged, uh, the, the, the mugger should get justice and should be sanctioned appropriately because there's no excuse for mugging anyone, whether it's in broad daylight on a safe street or whether it's down a dark alley. After, now, after you, you deal with that, there are other issues that can be reasonably addressed, and that is how can you better process that situation and maybe, maybe be safer, keep yourself out of harm's way, and you would say, well, don't walk down a dark alley at night. The fact that that we address that point doesn't justify the mugging. Uh, so, in a similar vein, uh, you know, at the end of a game, uh, when someone's trying to run the clock out, like I don't think it's it's the right thing to do to continue to try to get a steal in a twenty-five point game when there's ten seconds left. That didn't mean that it should have escalated to a fight. Similarly, after the steal, I thought it was unnecessary to go down and try to block the shot. Doesn't mean that that it justifies the fight. Uh, similarly, there was no excuse in my judgment for, and it, and it, it helped escalate it when, when Silvio de Sosa stood over the, the player after blocking the shot, you know, that sort of increased the tension. Uh, but the, the, what really, you know, sort of led to it and was, was, uh, the, the Kansas state players that rushed, uh, rushed the situation from their bench, which was closest to the situation. That, that, that's sort of the thing that led to it being a brawl. And uh, none of that justified the actions of it. Um, but all those things, now could the officials, like if the officials had it to do over again, I'm sure they would have thought, you know what, maybe we should call a foul on the steal. Um, that would have stopped it. They never would have gotten down to that end if they'd blown the whistle and said, foul. You know, if they see somebody doing that and it's not a, you know, maybe it is appropriate for them to say, let's call a foul there. And, uh, and, and we'll take the heat for somebody saying, well, wait a minute, he didn't make contact there. Do, do you think ESPN would have run the play back and replayed it to see if it was really a foul? Um, I don't think they would have. And now I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but I'm saying that, that, that maybe, you know, maybe in the future, just like walking down the dark alley, maybe they could say, you know what, maybe it's the better, it's the better thing that, that if they're trying to run the clock out, maybe we call a foul there and, uh, and, and sort of step in on that. 
I always think of it from a coach's perspective, just being an assistant coach. And it seems even this last weekend with uh, Coach Calipari getting tossed out of the game, I saw some people talking like, where are his assistants? Did the poor assistants get blamed for all of it? Assuming you never had anything like that happen at Duke, but having been an assistant coach, do you have talks like that with the staff? You know, if something like this happens, you're responsible for, you know, holding the guys back or making sure that, because if I'm not, mistaken i believe everybody got tossed from that game last night except for the guys that were out there because everybody left the bench but there's not really much you can do with that right well yeah i mean even the assistant coaches violated the rule by leaving the bench so if they're going and and the assistant coaches all did from my view did a pretty good job of trying to you know play peacemaker but by rule they were in violation of the rule too so i think the rules are flawed in in a certain way but you know, look, you can't pass a rule and and uh, and somehow expect that that there's never going to be a fight again. I mean, the rules actually contemplate multiple fights. So, uh, you know, if the rule basically states rule 10, uh, it's 10-5. So the rule basically states that if you're involved in a fight, you are and it's deemed a fight uh, by the officials, you are suspended the next game. Uh, but it, and then it says if you're involved in another fight in another game, in the same season, you're suspended for the remainder of the year. So the rules don't don't even call for you know lengthy suspensions for a fight. The, the rules contemplate that these kind of things can happen. They don't want them to happen, but they can happen. And uh, so now, what the Big Twelve does, what the uh, uh, what Kansas does, they can do more. They can't do less, but they can do more. And uh, uh, it's just an unfortunate situation. But you hope that that reasonable people would would take a look at this after having stepped away from it and, and dispassionately handle it. Uh, because it's not the, it's not the first fight we've ever seen. Uh, it would be wonderful if it were the last, but the fact that this is codified in the rules indicates that, that we don't, we don't think it'll be the last change of topic here, but some may not be aware that every summer you have your J Billis skills camp and it's not actually just for players, but you also have a leadership program for coaches. Can you kind of explain what that is and what you've tried to accomplish with that? Yeah, we have a, uh, I run a basketball camp, uh, during the, uh, the summer in June, uh, we bring in, uh, about 120 high school players uh, that are, you know, somewhat accomplished. I wouldn't call it like a, it's not certainly not a recruiting camp and and filled with nothing but top 100 players, but we have had some very accomplished players go through. Uh, but we also have with it a coaches development program where young coaches, whether they be high school coaches or uh, uh, current or former basketball managers, uh, have an opportunity to come in and learn, and they are on coaching staffs um, during the camp. So they get on-floor coaching experience on the staff of a current Division II or Division III head coach uh, or a former Division I head coach. Um, so th- those are the only uh, people that staff our camp, our, our, our head coaches. Uh, so we have a very experienced crew. Uh, and and those those development coaches – get not only on-court experience, but they get classroom experience. They get USA Basketball certified. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. They're busy for the, the, the four days that they're, they're at the camp. And then we also have a new thing that we started last year. It's a coach's leadership program where we, we have in a dozen uh, current Division I assistants that are soon to be, we believe, head coaches. And we do head coach training, which includes media training uh, uh, and other, you know, other things that 
that we found to be helpful. So, um, you know, we're trying to, uh, we're trying as best we can to teach the players and, and hopefully coach the coaches, uh, and, uh, and at least in our backyard, do the best job we can of helping to, to grow the game the right way. You have the advantage of having been a coach and then also in your position now observing a lot of coaches. So if you were to uh, go back and maybe talk to your younger self and let's say that you were to stick in the coaching uh, for the rest of your career, is there any piece of advice or pieces of advice that you would give to yourself? Yeah, I think I, I think I was pretty good with the way I handled it and the the, the mentors that I, I had and still have. Uh, I think it would I would continue to uh, emphasize what I did at the time, which was continue to pursue, you know, your education and in, in your field that, you know, your job, whether you're a coach or a, a lawyer or broadcaster is to be an expert in your field. And that requires continuing education and to push forward to, to learn as much as you can, uh, about your craft and to, uh, to hone it. Uh, so, you know, I don't, at least the best coaches I know don't feel like they have it all, all figured out, nor did the best lawyers or the best broadcasters or the best doctors. You know, you just continue to, uh, to work hard and, and to, uh, uh, you know, stay, uh, try to stay ahead, up with the game and, if, and ahead of the game if, if you can and be involved. And uh, uh, so I've always tried to do that in anything I've ever done. And I would certainly have, have hoped to have done that in coaching if I'd stayed in it. Last question here, but connected to that, working with uh, young people and, and having been around players and now, um, you know, having your own kids, is there a message that you believe that they need to hear or something that we need to be better communicating to the next generation? I mean, I think the, the best message to communicate is sort of how you handle things every day. You know, I don't know that, that when I've spoken with players at, at camp or uh, you know, our coaches, you know, young coaches and our, our current division one head coaches that I've imparted any one piece of, of, you know, great advice to them. But I think that, you know, I know by having, you know, having those programs, I get, I get energized about the game by being around people who love it as much as I do and who value it and who are, you know, looking to, uh, enhance it. And, uh, and hopefully that's the, you know, that's the message that's taken from, uh, you know, from my minimal involvement in it is that, uh, you know, when you love something, you, uh, you take care of it and you continue to work to improve it and, uh, and improve, uh, sort of your role in it. And, uh, and I've always tried to do that and hopefully I'll, I'll keep up with it. Awesome. That's ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. Jay, thank you so much for all that you do for the game and for taking the time for us. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.